Hi Tubes, Johnny here, but isn't the climate always changing? Hello, hello. Welcome to Hey Tubes, this awesome podcast where we are figuring out can we save the planet but make it fashion. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon, and we're so, so excited to today be answering the question, but isn't the climate always changing? Oh, what a controversial question. I so know. bold. So bold. I love it. And I actually have to admit here, I have once asked this question. Mm, I remember. Do you remember? Yeah, I feel like you love to ask questions. And so when you hear about people asking questions, you're like, hey, why isn't anyone talking about that? Yeah, totally. You make me sound like a full-blown conspiracy theorist. I am not. But you always come full circle, but it's like, you know, just ask a question, get the answers and then come back, which I think is a great thing. I actually remember, so I must have been in my early 20s. So I remember I actually went to Oxford in the UK. And I went to this really cool social entrepreneurship summit. And Wait, sidebar. I was there in Paris with you. Was that when you and I were in Paris together for three months? Yeah. And then we were studying French and we were having oui, the oui, best oui, oui, time. We were. Yeah, we were really into this place called Bagels and Brownies. I love Bagels and Brownies. Best bagels, best brownies. I wonder if it's still open. They had three flavors of brownies. So we would go to French school in the morning and then it would finish around... 12.30 and then we would head across the park. Oh, we would walk through the Jardin de Luxembourg. And then go and get our bagels and our brownies and try to speak French. But so one weekend you left me and you were like, hey, I'm going to go do this thing. I think Amy Marks invited you. Yes, Amy Marks, who is our friend and also was the founder of Tom Organic Tampons. Great brand. And okay, thanks for putting that into context because I was 23 because I remember you were traveling Europe and I came to meet you and I was 23 at this point. Yeah, it was 2011. So I went to this social entrepreneurship summit and I remember meeting all of these incredible thought leaders. I was not involved in social entrepreneurship at all. I was really interested just in entrepreneurship, but I'd never thought about this idea of actually doing something good with running a business. And so I was hearing all these amazing ideas and I remember there was a guy who I met there and he was talking about climate change. And I remember getting into a conversation with this guy over dinner one night and he was talking about global warming and how the temperatures were changing. And I remember being like, but um, like, isn't the climate always changing? Like, you know, I just, I wasn't very good at history, but I know like that we had some like ice ages and some shit and like, you know, things over time have happened. We had dinosaurs and then we had like cave people and all this other stuff. And I remember being like, well, maybe isn't the climate just always changing? And is this such a catastrophe or do we just need to kind of accept that this is what is happening in the world and always happens? Yeah. And is it a result? of our actions or is it just a result of nature running its course the way it did with dinosaurs the way it did with the mammals on that movie Ice Age which I like so much cute movie or is it actually our fault and I think that that's probably a question 
maybe that's not being asked so much anymore, but definitely I think there are questions that we have around climate change that we don't know the answers to that we're also too embarrassed to ask. You know, when you have a friend and they have a job and then you don't know what they do, but you guys have been friends for too long that now you can't ask what they do because it's too (laughs) awkward. Like you should have known already. This is me with like, honestly, 90% of my friends. And I feel really selfish because like, obviously we're so public about what we do that I assume they know what I do, but it's like Chandler Bing and he's like a discombobulator or something. Who the hell knows what that is? And it's way too awkward to ask. Yeah. So I like to think of the conversation that we're about to have as all the questions that you're thinking, but too embarrassed to say out loud about climate change. And obviously just going to mention here, I now know that the climate is always changing, but we humans have made it change at a much, much more rapid pace than it should be. And I don't know if that was the most obvious thing to have said, but I just thought we should clarify that that is where we currently stand on this issue. And that is obviously why we are going through this journey with tubes. And we personally going on these journeys because we know that there is so much that we can be doing to reverse the situation that we're in. And Jess has actually been meeting with the Jewish Climate Network lately. She's come home from a couple of events she's been to and shared amazing, amazing insights and really been raving about one person there in particular. And that is who we're going to be phoning today. Her name is Eleanor Hasenfratz. And the thing I love about Eleanor is she makes climate change fun. I know that sounds like a completely impossible thing to do, but you're actually about to experience it. So let's call Eleanor and let her answer this juicy, juicy question. Hi, Eleanor. Oh, hey. It's so lovely to hear your voices and be here. I've been excited about this one for a while. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you on and share all of your wisdom. So we wanted to hit you with a pretty intense question right off the bat, which is, but isn't the climate always changing? Something that we've asked before and that we definitely know some people are probably still thinking. Yeah, it's a really good question. And the answer is yes, the climate has always changed. Luckily, there's a low barrier to understanding this one, which is just Googling climate change over the last, I don't know, 800,000 years. And you'll see over many thousands of years, it does go up and down. And that's when we've had ice ages versus temperatures that we kind of have now. It's gone up and down. And then the bad part is at the very, very end of the graph, the line just goes vertically upwards to temperatures and and levels of carbon in the atmosphere that we just have not ever seen before. And that has all happened in the last like couple of hundred years. (laughs) That coincides with us being around. So we have existed in like a stable climate, like humans, particularly over the last like 10,000 years, sort of of when we started like measuring history and writing stuff down, we've existed in a pretty stable climate situation called the Holocene. And now we're just rapidly, very, very quickly changing it into a state that we haven't ever seen before. So it's kind of like we are creating the conditions that will take us into an ice age, but in reverse. So it's a very Googleable 
graph basically and once you see it you'll feel your bum clench in a frightened way so that's the answer to that question it has changed we're changing it very very quickly oh my god and I feel like if you look at any graph in relation to the things that we've been doing over a long period of time to now you see the spike you're talking about so for us we're very in tune with fashion in the environment so if you would google how many purchases people make per year or how many garments we're throwing out every year, that graph does the exact same thing where it's like, chill, 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 chill. Ah! Yeah, 100%. It's a scary thing. It's often called the hockey stick graph. You know, it has a little scoop and then it just goes straight upwards. And it's bad news. It's pretty bad news across the board, that graph. But the exciting thing is that if we have changed it, we can change it again. So if it's because of us, it can also be because of us that we like swap it around. Yeah, I love the positivity and we want to get to more positive stuff in a little bit, but we'd love you to hit us with your most shocking facts about climate change. Just like a note about all of our mental health, that we should be talking and thinking about climate change more, but there is definitely a cost to that, to our mental health, and that we should all seek support and talk about it with our friends, talk about it with our psychologists, our psychiatrists, our counsellors, whoever. And there are people who are informed who can help you do that. And it's a normal thing to be traumatised by the reality that we are living in, but we still have to look at it. I really love hearing you say that because I think that it's not really talked about at all. And it's so normal that people would be completely overwhelmed by it. It's probably a big reason why everybody should just, or not everybody, but a lot of people just shut down at the thought of the conversation and want to block it out and therefore don't want to actually deal with it and, you know, try to create changes in their own lives. And so I think it's a really important part of the conversation that we have to be having. What can we do? It's it's normal that it's hard to face, but what can we do so that we can still be able to face it and take care of ourselves on an individual level at the same time? Yeah, 100%. And I think it's also once we extend that beyond ourselves, if we've committed to looking at the scary graphs or you know looking at the things that are really happening, we can then also create spaces and create narratives for the people around us as well to say hey I'm going to create a safe space in which we can talk about climate change and often that is a barrier that people need to get over they need to have a a space where we can sit and acknowledge how we're feeling because you can't you can't move beyond you can't move into the next phase I feel this is definitely true of my experience I need to sit in the grief and I need to sit in the reality which I will share with you in a minute of the scary stuff because if I don't do that firstly I'm not informed And if I don't do that and acknowledge my own feelings, I'm not being true to myself and I'm not actually giving myself the respect that my my brain deserves of saying, hey, you're dealing with a full on thing. It's like teaching someone about some awful genocide and being like, "Okay, we're going to move straight into the next thing. Like, no, you need to have time to sit and, and process. So and I think that we particularly as young people and young women as well like we can definitely create those spaces because they kind of they kind of don't exist yet like things are happening but that's a very practical thing that we can all do is just say I'm going to acknowledge the reality now and I want to do it with you and let's talk about it over a nice coffee all right so here comes the here comes the scary facts I'll hit you with two scary facts one is in fact overall it's really about heat and so there are parts of the world where for up to like 45 days a year pretty soon it's going to be 60 degrees and that is a point at which humans can no longer survive so you can't be outside for more than a couple of hours you lose your ability to cool yourself down and there are large parts of the world where people are just not going to be able to live there anymore and they will need to move so for me that's frightening so the next bit is that 
you don't even need those kind of extreme temperatures and for your body to not work anymore and die. And we've seen this with heat waves across Europe, particularly the one that really stays with me is in 2010, there was a heat wave across Northern Europe and particularly in Russia, it killed 55,000 people died from this one heat wave across a couple of weeks. And it wasn't 60 degrees up there. It wasn't like a furnace, but all of a sudden it was, you know, 35, 40 degrees and it didn't cool down overnight. And when it doesn't cool down overnight and your body can't cool itself and self-regulate our own, you know, biological systems, after a couple of days of that, people just start dropping off. You know, they just, they, we die like flies. So in places like Russia where it, they're not used to it being hot and their buildings aren't built to cope with extreme heat, that's when you have people who are slightly vulnerable or even perfectly healthy um, just dying very quickly um, from heat that we're not prepared for. So that's the thing that, that sticks with me is where we're going to find a lot of heat. And then the next scary fact is also to do with people moving, and that is we have glaciers in the Himalayas that are melting 10 times faster than they're meant to be, and there are 750 million people who are dependent on those glaciers for their drinking water. So those glaciers are predicted to have melted like quite soon. And that is a problem that we are just not equipped to deal with. Like we remember in the Syrian civil war, like I vividly remember all of these people fleeing and it was about a million people who fled from Syria across the Aegean sea and into parts of Europe. And that caused huge unrest and many, many people died on the journey and it was very traumatic and it remains traumatic. That was only 1 million people that fled into Europe there were another 10 million or so that were displaced internally. But we're looking at 750 million people just from India and Pakistan and areas where they're dependent on the, on the Himalayan glaciers. And those glaciers are melting and they're melting really fast. And I feel that societally, we're not ready to deal with 750 million people moving any time in the next few decades. So it's that feeling of there's something just over the horizon that it's beyond the physical impacts, it's the human impacts that really keep my bum very tightly clenched. <laughs> so there you go. Those are the scary, those are some of the scary facts. I'll leave it there. So you've hit us with a lot of really interesting info there and I'm already feeling like pretty bleak about things now. And it's really interesting because it's like, I know about this stuff, but it's just like such a human thing that you're able to turn yourself off from it if you want to. And so I think, you know, we end up living our lives and we're on Instagram, we're going out for dinners and that is just part of being human that we kind of can hold both. And then when we do open up to it, like I personally want want to be able to open up to it. And I think what I need to be able to is to have some hope and to know that we can get ourselves out of this. And that I think through personally and as a collective, knowing that we can do something about this and that we can go out and take action really shifts us from a place of just feeling total despair to empowerment and and feeling like, okay, wow, we've got this, we can do something about this. So we'd love you to now hit us with some good news. Do you have hope that if we rally together, we'll be able to turn things around? And what's that going to take? Yes, I do have hope. And I, I really like your point, Steph, about we need to be nourished by the work that we're doing because it can very easily be unnourishing and it can take a lot from us to engage with this stuff. And I think we have a role in kind of shifting that narrative because the narrative at the moment, and make no mistake, this is deliberate. Like there are deliberate bad actors, fossil fuel companies who've known for years and years, might've been Shell or BP that invented the carbon footprint. Like 
they want us to feel bad to divert attention away from the fact that it's actually other people and big systems that are that are doing the polluting and we're just trying to live our lives and so the narrative is often about restriction and it can just feel like such a downer but I think we can definitely shift the narrative and I think that stems from our actions and for anyone who's been to a youth climate strike and I presume many of your listeners would have that was a real shift for me so that was before I started working formally in climate I was a primary school teacher and I went to a climate strike it was two days before my due date I was heavily pregnant and I was there from the very very beginning when there were just like 50 kids at parliament house and then thousands like tens of thousands of people arrived and it was like a flick switched in my head when I was like oh this is how we do it we do it together you know it's like gorgeous gorgeous girls rock up and do climate action together and it feels really really good (laughs) yes you just quoted tiktok that's amazing so i think it's from doing stuff together you know it's like find your crew look at the reality say jesus that's frightening and then we take a step forward together arm in arm and we applaud each other all the way So much of the reason why I love chatting to you, Eleanor, is because you do leave me feeling so hopeful and able and armed with the knowledge that I am able to create change. So maybe just like super quickly, like top level, you could give us just like a couple of things that if people have listened to this and they're, you know, ready and they're at the top of the slope and they want to take their first push, what's the first two steps that they could take right now that would actually make a change? I love that image of being at the top of the slope because I think that's where so many of us are and we're just busy with our lives in the interim. And if you zoom out and if you could see everyone who's at the top of the slope, there'd be hundreds of thousands of us, you know, we're like ready to act. So step number one is find your friends, like find your tribe, find your gals, find your team, or maybe join a team, people who you want to spend time with and say, we need to do something about this. And then it's find something that you are good at. So I get really excited when I think about the future because instead of thinking about that restrictive, you know, climate-affected doomsday scenario, which is like our current trajectory, let's not be mistaking ourselves, but I think about the exciting things that are so within our grasp that I'm not necessarily well-equipped to make happen. Like, why don't we have 100% renewable energy in Australia or 700% renewable energy in Australia and export renewable energy to other countries by 2030? Why don't we do that? Let's do that. Now, I am not a battery engineer. I don't install solar panels. You know, I'm a primary school teacher. I'm a woman. I make art. Like, I love talking to people. So that is the thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to find a person. I'm going to literally call my friend in Adelaide, Kendall. Hey, Kendall, I love you. You love me. We're good friends. I really want help to do some climate stuff. Should we do stuff, some stuff together? And then it's about creating the soil. I think this is something all of the public can do. I love an agricultural metaphor. (laughs) This agricultural metaphor that this social organizer whose name I cannot find said, and I learned about a couple of years ago, which is that the time is going to come when a seed comes along that's going to instigate change. And that could be a meme. It could be a politician. It could be a climate disaster. Who knows what it could be? I think we felt that with the bushfires. That was like an event that was kind of a seed that changed the narrative. And our job until the next seed comes along. And the pandemic as well. We've seen with the pandemic how it feels like change can never happen overnight. And then bam, the whole world changes overnight. Exactly right. And I think what we can do is to work the soil and tend to the soil so that when that next seed drops, there is a rich microbiome of soil ready to support this 
idea or climate response or pandemic response to say, yeah, nah, this is what we're going to do, as opposed to one person piping up and saying, maybe we should do this, and everyone being like, it's not my job to talk about climate, so I'm not going to engage. And we can do that through making art, by making podcasts. We had someone who came to one of the climate conversations with the organisation I work with, Jewish Climate Network. She came to a conversation and then she said, you know what? I have an Instagram following of 10,000 people. I run this awesome Pilates and physio page. Come and have a conversation about climate change with that group of people. And that was amazing. This person had no obligation and no, you know, professional skin in the game when it comes to like climate science or anything. But we two women had a conversation about it and the response was really, really good. People like, oh, I'm so glad you're talking about this because my bum is constantly clenched. (laughs) Like I want to hear about the solutions. I want to hear what I can do. So I think that kind of uncovering of this truth, which is that we actually all give many, many shits, if you'll excuse my language, like we all care, we all want a safe future and we can all see that it's like pretty rapidly unraveling in front of us. And once we uncover that truth that we're already, we're all at the top of the slope, most of the work is already done. We just need to magnify what is in our minds and in our hearts. And that's by doing exactly what you guys are doing and talking about climate change on your awesome podcast. Like you're using the things that you have at your availability. You're not going back to study and becoming an engineer to invent a battery. Like that's not what we need to do. We need artists and lawyers and financial experts and teachers and doctors and rabbis and priests and, you know, everyone in between to be thinking and talking and engaging with climate whenever it's safe for them to do so, which is just more than we currently do. Mm, yeah, ha, ha. yeah that, baby yeah I love that so much feeling inspired and just feeling like you know even for me and for us like we don't feel like we do enough and I think it's easy to forget that like doing something like this podcast like I love that you pointed that out I'm like yeah go me go us like we're doing something and it's a really awesome reminder that we're hard on ourselves, especially as women, but all of us. And just to remember that like, do what you can and do things that even though you can't see the end result and how they are helping, everything is contributing. And if we are all giving our little bit in the ways that we can and in the specialties that we have, it is going to all come together. Yeah. I think that's such a great, a great way of looking at it that it's like this tapestry that we're weaving. We don't know what the picture is yet, you know, and I might just be one thread but the tapestry will not be complete or strong without my one thread. And I like to kind of look forward into the future. And we're, we're lucky that we have this future event, meaning a federal election coming up in just a couple of months and nothing lights a fire under my bum than a deadline. And so we can all imagine, look, I don't want to start door knocking or become some political beast. Like it's not really in my, in my sort of skill set or set of desires. However, <laughs> imagine if... 10 people who lived in my neighbourhood or 50 people. Imagine if my local MP had 100 phone calls from people who'd never contacted an MP or someone made them a piece of art or someone tweeted them or DM'd them on Instagram and said, hey, I run an ethical fashion company or I am a lawyer, I'm a teacher, I'm a whoever, and I just want you to know that I really care. I really care and I'm scared and I want solutions and I want to help you or, like, you need to get on board or whatever that is. If they get hundreds of those messages prior to the election, and trust me, they are listening, that will change things. And, and our politicians, you know, nothing can, can change as quickly. Like, I think so many of us would definitely feel like I'm slaving away, you know, not having meat or not buying new things or recycling. And it can feel, well, what is the, what is the impact of that? 
and make no mistake that does have an impact, particularly on a personal level in terms of like living by our values. And that's definitely something I've learned from you, Jess. I think that's really important. But in terms of measurable impact, nothing has measurable impact like policy change. And, you know, our leaders have these opportunities and we need to let them know, hey, we're not going to kill you if you don't do this, like, or if you do do this, to rephrase, like, we need to support them to say, this is the future, like sensible climate policy that protects our citizens and protects our neighbours is the future. And there's no way of getting around it. We need to remove it from this ideological quagmire that it's currently in and be more like the UK as a conservative government. Their climate policies are awesome. And I'm no doubt that that was contributed to by regular people in the UK being like, I'm just going to call my bloody MP. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to write to them. I'm going to tweet them. I'm going to whatever. So, so many of us are working hard to be ethical, to do the right thing, to protect the planet. And we can take an extra step and magnify that by telling people that that's what we're doing. And the people who are listening right now are MPs (laughs) because they want to get elected. So that's something that gives me a lot of hope in an urgent, exciting way when I look to the future and I think, Maybe the election is going to have some amazing climate outcome, regardless of who gets in, because in five years, it is not going to be the case that we don't have strong climate policies across the board. Like in five years, it's going to be removed from this ideological pit of just like confusion. And it's just going to be something that we deal with properly in the same way that we, to a large extent, dealt with the pandemic properly. We just looked at the risks. We listened to the experts. And for many cases, we just did what the experts told us to do. Um, and I think the, the same is going to be true with climate, but we can really push that along. We have to push that along further by saying, hey, this is what we want. I'm already doing it in my own life. I'm trying to be as ethical and a good a person as I can be. Like we need to get on board and let's create climate jobs and let's stop arguing about, you know, this nonsense that's so 2015, you know, like let's just get on board and future proof this country that we live in. So maybe send this podcast episode to any politicians that you know or anyone who does ask that question, but isn't the climate always changing? Because we need to educate people. We need to ignite conversations. We've all got this together. I am feeling so pumped up after this conversation with you, Eleanor. Thank you so much. This has been so, so incredible and keep on fighting the good fight out there. Thank you so much. I'm such a huge fan of your work and it's just a joy. Like I always feel so happy and zingy and enlightened and strong after these conversations and that's what we need and yeah thank you so much for sharing your platform hey tubes okay wow that was so freaking wonderful like i knew it would be i'm not surprised at all i'm not sitting here thinking oh my god that was amazing i'm like yeah that was amazing yeah duh that was amazing it's eleanor so i just wanted to touch on something quickly that eleanor talked about the end there around politics and climate in case you were sitting there and thinking "Mm, I don't know that much about this. Can I get some context? So basically in Australia, it's not like it is around the rest of the world. So in places like the UK, the climate is actually a bipartisan issue. So whether you're left or right, you don't agree on everything, but you do agree that the climate crisis is happening and that we should all be doing something about it. Whereas here in Australia, it's a much more politicized issue and it's more like the left are for climate and the right isn't, which is a silly thing really, because as we've now heard, we're all going to be affected and are already being affected by the climate crisis. So what we're hoping for is 
very, very soon for Australia to adopt this idea of the climate is for everyone. It's a bipartisan issue. We don't have to agree on everything, but at the very least, let's agree on that. Thanks for that clarification. I needed it. So now we are going to move on to everybody's favorite segment. I mean, they're all our favorite. Who are we kidding? But this is winner, winner, plant-based dinner. La, 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 la. Oh my goodness. I am so excited. Like I have been bursting at the seams to tell you about this one. The other day I was having dinner with my partner Renan and his mum cooked us dinner. So cute of her. And she whipped up these nuggets that literally tasted like chicken nuggets. I love chicken nuggets. I love chicken nuggets. And I haven't had nuggets in such a long time. Like Macca's nuggets. I used to love them, although it always creeped me out like the chicken when especially when there was like the brown ones like sometimes it'd be like weirdly chewy so I couldn't really eat nuggets because they creep me out but she cooked us these like frozen nuggets it's that brand corn like q-u-o-r-n they're just like freezer nuggets you chuck them in the oven and they were freaking delicious. Ooh, yum. What context do you eat them in? Like, are they the main or are they the side? What's the vibe? Well, she just like made a bunch of different stuff. So there was like some salad and some broccoli and some potatoes and some nuggets. So yeah, I guess they were like the protein equivalent. Yum. And they're probably soy based, I'm assuming. So they are the protein. That sounds delicious. I'm going to go get me some corn nuggets. Do it. Do yourself a favor. Get yourself some nugs. My winner winner is is something that some people might roll their eyes out because I feel like people discovered this like 150 years ago. But mine is Koyo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love Koyo. Wait, you hate coconut-based products? I hate coconut. So once I became a vegan, it was a bit shit because basically everything is replaced with coconut if you're a vegan. Yeah, like all the ice cream. We're like, mmm, chocolate ice cream. And Jessica will be like, but it's just coconut. It just tastes like chocolate flavored coconut. I don't understand. So I never liked it. And it was really annoying all the time. And especially because I love yogurt. Like I would always have Chobani yogurt in the mornings. And so that's been something that I've really been missing since becoming vegan. So recently I went on a breathwork facilitation retreat in the Grampians. Oh, it was good. And they had Koyo there and everyone was raving about it. And I thought, you know what? I haven't tried this in like seven years. I might just give it a crack. And it was delicious. It absolutely does the job of yogurt. And I think over time, I've just like beaten my taste buds down, feeding it all of the coconut that it's just had no option other than to embrace all the coconutty flavors. And now I love Koyo and I'm so happy because I can eat yogurt again in the morning. Like the other day I had it with mango. Then I had it on toast with some jam. It was amazing. Yeah, let's not let her gloss over the fact that she just said she put yogurt on her toast with jam. This happens all the time. This is what I have to deal with. Yum. I haven't done it in so many years though. I'm so excited. Well, welcome to the Koyo party. I'm very excited for you. Thank you. So that's all we have time for for today, folks. We will see you back here next week. And please do make sure if you're enjoying these episodes that you help us get the word out because you, a listener, helping to tell people that you love about this podcast really helps us grow our listenership and have more important conversations on a wider platform about things like climate change. So a few things you can do there. You can leave us a review, leave us five stars in your podcast app 
and Spotify lets you leave five stars now as well. And you can, of course, just send the episode over to a friend and tell them why you loved it. And particularly with what Eleanor said today, it would be great if you could send this podcast to a friend and say, hey, will you have a listen to this podcast? And then let's have a chat about it. It's a good place to start creating your little network of climate warriors. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to our podcast producer, Amelia Navasquez, our podcast coordinator, Bianca Whitner, and a big thank you to King Cora and Lily3PO for creating our incredible theme song. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record, the Boonarong, Boonwarang and Wurundjeri Woolwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation and the Arakwal people of the Bunjalung Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging.